tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Am I live? Let me feel my pulse. Yes, I'm live. Goodness, you never know. Uh, Moving along, uh, the voice in my head and I were just having erudite conversations about etymologies of words. It's what we do here at Relevant Radio, but yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Moving along, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same spirit, that right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that done and said, let us open the big book on the coffee table. Well that done and said, um, uh, we run into a word, I think, that is, well, this is an interesting word uh, just to demonstrate the problem of words. Thus says the Lord God, this is Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, the 21st verse. If the wicked man turns away from all the sins he committed, we all know what wicked means. We understand it. But it's a word that is falling out of use. How often do you say to someone, my, but you've been wicked? I don't think so. We use it things like the wicked witch or of the West and in readings from the Bible. But we rarely talk about wicked people, except in a complimentary way. Colloquial, it has come to mean, well, deviously intelligent. That was, Oh, you are so wicked. You know, or that was oh, wicked. And we use it in a positive way now. And this is the problem with language. Language changes meaning. And English, for some reason, changes meaning at breakneck speed. We, we really, you know, cool, for instance, used to refer exclusively to temperature. Words change meaning quickly um, in English. And part of it, of course, is, I'm sure, the technological revolution that we've undergone um, but it just does. And this, the reason I mention this is because people say, I want the best translation of the Bible. Well, you get a good translation of the Bible, and it's archaic pretty soon. <laughs> the King James Bible has wonderful words in it, like fro word. Fro word? What does fro word mean? It's F R O W, not forward, but F R O W. Uh, 
uh, fro word. And then I think R-A-D, I'd have to look it up. But a fro word wench? What is, what doesn't mean anything to us? That I want just the perfect translation. Well, good luck. When you find it, call me and tell me. Moving along, you can get better translation than the others. And if someone is just beginning in the study of the Bible, I always recommend the Catholic Study Bible. It's it's the uh, translation. Um, I Why don't I remember this? New American. That's the translation we use at Mass. Is it not your voice in my head? New American. Yes, New American um, Mass. New American, yes. <laughs> Something I remembered. And uh, it has interesting notes, good notes. I also like the Jerusalem Bible, which I don't know if they put out the old Jerusalem Bible anymore. Not the new Jerusalem Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, not for its translation. I don't think it's the best translation going, but the notes are very good, and and, and uh, the introductions are very good. So um, also the uh, Navarre Bible is very good. What else is very good? People ask me this all the time, which is why I'm saying it. I haven't even gotten into the readings, which we will do now. Well, this this is it seems a little confusing this first reading, but it's not. It just says that if the if the uh, uh, sinner, if the wicked man, and, and I, I did look up the word for wicked in Hebrew, and I think it's ra. Is it ra or yeah? I think it's ra. Um, if the wicked man, uh, it just means the bad man turns from all the sins he has committed um, and repents, then he will live. Now, when we say live, this is, you know, I cannot help but see this as spiritual life because there's lots of wicked people who outlive the the virtuous. And I don't know if Ezekiel meant it uh, in that sense, Um, but um, uh, I think the Lord does. I think the Holy Spirit does. Okay, I'm trying to look up the word wicked in, in the text to make sure. Yeah, yeah. It, oh, it, it's Russia, not Ra. It seems to be. I've got it. I've got it. Um, it, it seems to be related to the, uh, the word Ra, which means bad, but Russia, the, the wicked, the criminal man. So there, there is a shin in there. Is it a shin or? Yeah, it's a shin. The, 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 the that's a, a Hebrew. Never mind. Let's just get back to the reading. All right. Um, that makes sense. Do I derive any pleasure from the death of the wicked? You know, do I not rather rejoice when he turns from his evil way that he may live? This doesn't seem breathtaking to us. But in terms of ancient religion, it is kind of breathtaking. And I don't think we, we, I don't think we understand that. That that in many ancient religions, morality was not associated with um, with religion necessarily. Roman religion was not about being good or virtuous. Roman philosophy was. But the gods were these capricious beings that weren't interested in human beings except to yank their chain and for amusement value occasionally. And if you could marshal the forces of the gods to, to hurt your enemy, all the better. Uh, it was kind of a practical voodoo. And it didn't matter what you did or what you stole or who you uh, hung around with, that sort of thing. It was just a way to cope with, with the unknown and the supernatural. Now, Egyptian morality, uh, there was a, a, a moral code uh, in Egypt, not quite what we would think of as very moral, but they did have a moral sense. 
and they had a judgment which included some emphasis on morality. Um, but and people would argue that, well, that's where the Hebrews got it from. I would argue the other way around. You know, if if the Exodus is an early date, which I, I go for the early dating of Exodus, at least for the initial phases of Exodus, um, <clears throat> the book of Chronicles points the Exodus around 1450, I think, uh, earlier than, than 1250. And I, I don't have time to get into that today. But that would mean people like uh, Akhenaten and Nefertiti would have gotten their morality, their concept of one God um, from the Hebrews. <laughs> and and the Hebrews would not have gotten it from them. I don't know. Again, I wasn't there. But that idea of, of morality, it was kind of rare in the ancient world. And um, at least our definition of morality. So if a man does what is right and just, he shall live, he shall not die. Um, again, I think it refers to um, spiritual life and spiritual death. Then it says, if the virtuous man turns in the path of virtue to do evil. Now, this is an interesting word. I've shared it with you before. It's a tzaddik. If it's tzaddik, that means a righteous man. Well, what what is righteousness? Um, I've struggled with that word most of my life. Uh, in, it's dikaios in Greek and uh, tzaddik uh, in in. Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word is tzedakah. It's very close to the word for, for, for charity. Um, and I, I've come to think that righteousness means being conformed to image, the image of God. The Almighty is perfectly righteous, and all his deeds are righteous. And a man who does his best to live the life of God is a righteous man. And righteousness, when we think of righteous in English, we think of someone who is just not much fun. Um, they never are late with their, their, their credit card payments and their lawn is always nicely kept and, and they go to church with great regularity. I think I would certainly recommend. And they're kind of, well, they're the kind of people who make you feel you should be doing more so you don't like them. Um, that's not righteousness. Righteousness includes generosity. God is gracious. God is generous. And thus, Righteousness, the character, the nature of God includes generosity and kindness as well as justice and impartiality. So a man who lives his life in a godly way, genuinely godly, not just um, turning his nose up at everything that he disapproves of, but if the righteous man turns from the path of virtue to do evil, the same kind of abominable things that the abominable, uh, abominable things that the wicked man does, can he do this and still live? None of his virtuous deeds shall be remembered. <sighs> because he has broken faith and, and, and sinned. You know, none of his virtuous deeds shall be remembered. That seems a little harsh. I mean, you know, he built this wonderful hospital for the poor. And then he cheated on his wife. Well, doesn't one outweigh the other or balance it a little? No, because you see, the goal is not simply conduct, it's, it's covenant. He has, why, why shall his virtuous deeds be forgotten? Because he's broken faith. We're in a covenant with the Lord. And if we decide to leave that covenant, well, that's the problem. It isn't, you know, that, that, that was kind of the Egyptian approach to judgment that, 
that the heart of the deceased was placed on one end of a scale and the feather on the other. If the heart was heavier than the, than the feather, he was in trouble. And we kind of look at it that way, that there's this scale and the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds. That's not, that's not what we're going for necessarily. Of course, we're going for good deeds, but because of faith. And remember, when I, you see the word faith, you can translate it trust. He has broken trust. He's broken his commitment to the Lord. So our goal is, is the covenant that we make with God, to be one with God forever. And when we don't do what God has asked us to do, we are breaking faith with him. And that's why our virtuous deeds are blotted out, because we've ceased to be in relationship to God. This isn't just, you know, toting up good deeds. And we often think, well, I got to do a lot of good deeds, so I get them all in the book. Well, that's fine. Do a lot of good deeds. But why are you doing them? Well, because I, I won't, I, I'm going to face judgment, and I, and I need a lot of good deeds to convince God to let me into heaven. No, no, no. You do good deeds because they're ways to love God. And the love of God and your love for him create that covenant relationship which will last forever and if you decide i don't want to be in a covenant with god and i'll just sort of skate on my good deeds it's the covenant this is a relationship you understand this is a relationship with god and hell is the the absolute absence of relationship with god that's what hell is it is the outer darkness and heaven is the wedding banquet of the Lord and his church. So we are going for relationship. And God wants me to do certain things with my life if I'm going to be a tzaddik, a virtuous person. Very important. Let's look at the gospel. Let me look at the time, too, the gospel. And Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, again, righteousness, this quality of, of of imitating God, um, well, that's that's uh, what this is about. And the scribes and Pharisees didn't want to imitate God; they wanted to impress Him. You know, they they wanted to do exactly what the law required—no more, no less. Um, you know, people—I <laughs> get the biggest kick out of people who say, uh, "Go to a wedding mass at two in the afternoon on Saturday," and the father does this count? What they mean is, does this fulfill the Sunday obligation? And the answer is, no, it doesn't. If a Mass is after 4 p.m. and has the prayers and readings of of the Sunday, then it counts. It fulfills the Sunday obligation. But people are always saying, does this Mass count? Is it a sin if I, you know, that kind of thing. Instead of saying, how many Masses can I go to on a Sunday, Father? <laughs> like, you know, how much more can I do? That's covenantal love, chesed, which means often translated love or loving kindness. But chesed, Rabbi Lefkowitz told me, is more than the covenant demands. And God is full of chesed. Uh, his righteousness, his, his, his chesed, the psalm says, 136 lasts forever. Um, so that's what Jesus is talking about here. You have heard it said to your ancestors, you shall not kill. Whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to whoever is angry with his brother, be, 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 brother, brother. Now, we need to be kind, courteous, and respectful.
to respect the divine image in every human being. But Jesus, I never noticed this before, but this is in reference to your brother, uh, the people who are closest to you, your co-religionists. The word brother here really refers, I think, in its context to those who with us are followers of Christ. And we can be pretty mean to each other. I know I can be. So whoever, I say to whoever's angry with his brother, remember Jesus said, who is my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? Those who hear the word of God and follow it. Um, so a brother is someone who, with whom you are stuck in the faith. Uh, so whatever says to his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to Sanhedrin. Raka is a fascinating word. It refers, the best definition I've heard of it is referring to thinly beaten gold. If you take metal and beat it out and make it very thin, that seems to be the origin of the word raka, which means shallow. Whoever says to his brother, you're just tinsel, you're just shallow, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Court of the Jews. And anyone who says, you fool, will be liable to the fiery Gehenna. Now, what is Gehenna? That is the Valley of Hinnom. And the Valley of Hinnom was uh, a valley on the western side of the westernmost hill of the old city of Jerusalem. And right now there is a, a lovely uh, venue there, a nightclub and hall to rent in Gehenna. I remember in 1973 going to a folk dance there. So you're listening to someone who's actually danced in Gehenna. But that's, uh, that, that's it wasn't, <laughs> well, I don't know how else to put it. Well, the... The um, the idea of Gehenna, it was a garbage dump. It had been the place of a temple to, to the gods of the Canaanites, and uh, the citizens of Jerusalem had worshipped the, the gods of the Canaanites along with their own god just to be on the safe side. And then when there was religious reform, those temples were, were they, they accepted child sacrifice. They were torn down. And the place was made a garbage dump. Jesus says elsewhere where the worm doesn't die and the, the fire is unquenched. In other words, there were garbage fires burning. Uh, and there was, it was just a place where you threw garbage. So that's what he's saying. Uh, that, that, uh, if you, if you call your brother shallow, well, you're garbage. <sighs> My goodness. Um, and, uh, uh, gosh, this, this is a, a, a uh, let's see here. Where was I? Where was I? Okay. The uh, whoever says you fool will be liable to the the fiery Gehenna. Um, the, this. Well, let's let's quickly look up what fool is. Okay. Uh, I'm i I've got it. I have it right here. I really do. I really do. All right. Um, whoever says um, uh, Christian, I don't know. Raka, uh, Enochas, so dear. Oh, more, a fool, a moron. That's what the word is. Uh, moros is, uh, someone who's stupid. Um, moros, the, the, uh, we get the word sophomore from it, a wise fool. So if you, if you, if you call your, your, your brother, uh, um, um, stupid, you know, then, then you're, you're guilty of, of, of punishment. So, you know, you've ever heard the saying, make your words soft and tender because tomorrow you may have to eat them. So very important. Well, that said, let's go to a break. I hope some of that made sense and we will come back in just 
a nonce, or at most two nonces, and we will read letters. Today we'd like to thank Tammy, who is listening in Florida, for donating her 2016 BMW Z4. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Father Simon says... You don't like what? Whatever it is, I don't like it. Well, don't let's break up an old friendship over a thing like that. On Relevant Radio. Well, you may run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Let me tell you, got a mind that's gonna cut you down. Go tell that long-tongue liar. Oh, well, well. Go tell that midnight rider. Oh, well, well. Tell the gambler, the rambler, backbiter. Tell them, got a mind that's gonna cut them down. Stop, got a mind, let me tell you. Great song, Elvis. Uh, old gospel song. At any rate, let's go to... I say that a lot, too. Let's go to letters. You do it. I caught on um, to it. Yes, this is this is um, from Megan. Uh, I th- yeah, yeah. She doesn't want to be anonymous, but I once heard you tell a story about a Vietnamese priest that was saddened because he was asked not to do a wedding mass. The bride and groom thought his accent would not be understandable. Not even that it wouldn't be understandable. I, this this happened years ago. I was at a seminar for. Uh, young priests and being an old priest, they used to occasionally ask me to do it, not too often. But um, this young Vietnamese priest, who'd been a hero for the faith, he had escaped Vietnam, he had been a catechist, was in a re-education camp, and as soon as he got out, he became one of the boat people and to come to America to finish his seminary preparation to be a priest. I mean, this was a guy who'd suffered for Christ, and and risked his life again for Christ. The the adventures of some of my Vietnamese prisoners back when I was at St. Thomas, uh, I mean, uh, they were in constant danger from pirates. Pirates. And these aren't Johnny Depp playing drunken, humorous people from the Spanish Main. No, these were bloodthirsty uh, uh, boat people um, in the South China Seas. And he made it to Thailand, then he made it to America, and was ordained. And when a bride found out that he was the priest who was going to do their wedding, she objected because it wouldn't it wouldn't look good in the videos. And I thought, this woman had a chance to be married by a confessor for the faith. But her, her racism and her bridezilliness uh, stole a blessing from her. That was the story. Pretty simple story and a really sad story. Um, so that's, that's the story, Megan. And, uh, you know, that, that, um, you know, wedding ceremonies are not about looking good. They're about committing your life to the Lord. Um, and, you know, the bride and her special day, you know, the special day is, you know, I'm going to get morbid. When I do a funeral, of someone who has died in old age and his widow or the widower is sitting in the front pew and they've been married for 50, 60 plus years. I start by congratulating them. And they look at me like I said, I want, I know this is a very sad occasion, but I want to congratulate you because this is the day that you talked about when you were married till death do us part. And you've been faithful 
until this day. This is the day that that your marriage has been fulfilled. So we we want to congratulate you and thank you for exa- your your great example of 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 Christian marriage and love. Um, that's true. When you marry, you know, oh, we want to change the words because we don't want to be more. But all the days of your life, it's still there's a last one. Believe me. And uh, um, that's that's the day that you look good, not your wedding day. You know, you may be all dressed in a cloud of lace and look like a a, um, a large ship under full sail, but that's not the day you look good. It's the day that you start. There's a reason people cry at weddings. Uh, but um, um, when someone goes to the Lord in old age after a faithful marriage, maybe we should be all smiles, though it is very difficult. Those people who have been widowed are... And that's part of the sacrifice of it, I think. So at the risk of sounding like a downer, now let's move on. All right. Always the cheerful German, aren't I? Okay, this is someone who wants to remain anonymous. How do I keep the fasting and abstinence guidelines when I work overnight? Do I go strictly by the clock? Yes. Midnight is a new day. That's how you do it. If you had a meal... um you know, uh, you know, if you're doing the traditional fasting thing, it's one meal that may include meat every day except Friday in Lent and uh, uh, Wednesday, uh, Ash Wednesday, but it's two snacks and a main meal. If you had a main meal and it's midnight and you go to work shift and you're going to have another main meal with meat on a non-Friday day, fine. Or when, you know, when it's midnight... Um, uh, on Thursday night and it turns into Friday, don't eat meat. So yes, you go strictly by the clock. I hope that answers the question. It seems like it should. All right, let's see here. This is uh, Mrs. Anonymous uh, from Indiana. When I was growing up in the 1970s and 80s, our parish would empty all the holy water fonts during Lent, and I've never seen that. And I, I never see that now. Did that used to be a Catholic tradition? Or was that just peculiar to my childhood parish slash pastor? It was peculiar, but not just to your pastor. The tradition is holy water except on Good Friday and until the new water is blessed on uh, um, Holy Saturday. Uh, I believe that that the holy water fountains were emptied um, after the Thursday night Mass of the Lord's Supper. Um, but that was it. These people who would put sand in the holy water fountain and little cactuses so that you jabbed your fingers when you absentmindedly went for holy water, that was a, a weird innovation for a brief time. That's, thank God, why you no longer see it anymore because it wasn't supposed to be done. In fact, is I believe it is forbidden. Uh, all right, moving along here. Now, this is from Jeff. Um, uh, this is about... Um, the respect that people have uh, at the Latin Mass. Um, you know, I, 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 I have been to Novus Ordo Masses that are utterly beautiful. And I've been to, um, you know, I, I think it is harder because there's less room for flexibility at the, uh, at the old Mass. But like I said the other day, you can abuse the old mass as well as uh, the new mass. You know, I, I, I particularly think of uh, Mozart's Requiem, uh, which is beautiful, one of the most beautiful pieces of music 
in history. But I remember a parish that would have Mozart's Requiem and big, big crowd and full orchestra paid for by a benevolent society. And after the Sanctus, about a third of the congregation got up and left. Why? Because Mozart didn't write anything after the Sanctus. He died. His students did the Lamb of God and, and the other, other things involved with the Mass. That's, that's disrespectful. Um, and then I remember I was at one where the, the Benevolent Society presented, uh, before the final blessing, after communion, presented the big novelty check to the pastor and pictures were taken. I thought, you know, at the new Mass, this wouldn't stick out so much. At the old Mass, like a sore thumb. And in my youth, I, you know, I, I remember 10-minute Masses. So it isn't a matter of, it's a matter of the heart. Is the heart reverent or not? Um, so I think that, you know, one of the, one of the problems with the old mass was that, um, it was a consumer society. We had to be there. Um, there was no choice about it. You, 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 now there's choice. And I, I think, I do think we have to look at, at the way we do. Uh, the the new mass, and I think when when uh, there was a renewal or a reform of the language of the missal under Pope Benedict, I think that that was a way to remind priests that there was a way you were supposed to say this mass. The mass is not the property of the celebrant; it is not the property of the congregation; it's the property of the church throughout the ages. And uh, you know, I I, I think that uh, uh, you know, Jeff, I I I think that. Um, you have to look into the hearts of the people that, that people who go to the old mass. I think many of them are probably more intentional than some people go to the new mass, but that's changing. That is changing. Um, <laughs> I, I, the other day I played, I, I, I mentioned the, the chicken dance mass in Germany. There was a parish in, uh, what was the name? Rusdorf, uh, Christ the King parish that actually the communion hymn was the chicken dance, which in German is called the duck dance. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable. But I suppose I'd rather have Mozart's Requiem than the duck dance, but for a third of the congregation to get up and walk out, it was no less disrespectful than the stupidity of the chicken dance as a communion hymn. I don't know. I'm just ranting and or raving. All right, let's see. What's the time? Um, One more, one more. Then we'll go to the word of the day. All right, let's see here. This is from uh, Michael in Gary, and uh, we see demons acknowledging Jesus as divine. Um, uh, I know you are God, the Holy One. And I've often said that that in the scriptures, I, I cannot find a place where the devil acknowledges the humanity of Christ. He, he never calls him a son of man. And the point being, if God will just mind his own business and stay in, God, in heaven, uh, the devil's fine with that. The title Son of Man is about a celestial being who comes from the throne of God. It's in the book of Daniel and comes to earth. The devil is fine, as I said, if God will mind his own business and stay in heaven. It's when he comes in and intervenes in 
the life of human beings. The devil thinks this world belongs to him. But the question here is, why then would Satan as thought work to kill Jesus? Being timeless, they did not know that killing Jesus would be unlike killing another Old Testament prophet. I imagine that taking him out of this world is exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to get him out of this world and into heaven. And, you know, the devil didn't quite know who Jesus was. We see that uh, in the temptation, if you are the Son of God. And what does that mean, Son of God? The Old Testament uses Son of God rather freely. That The angels seem to be called the sons of God. Um, the devil wasn't quite sure who Jesus was. Well, hadn't he seen him eternally? Yeah, but then he fell from heaven, and Jesus came from heaven, and presumably after the fall of Satan, and he certainly didn't look divine. I mean, you know, he looked like a, you know, a construction worker. And the devil wasn't quite sure who he was. So he got him crucified in the hopes that he would leave the world and go back to heaven. And it would manifest who he was. Because if he were God, then, of course, he wouldn't die. Well, he did die and was raised from the dead. Jesus truly died and truly was raised. He didn't pretend to be dead. A lot of ancient Christian thinkers said well, he was only pretending to be dead. He would not pretend to be dead. He died. And that's why he was in the tomb three days. In other words, it wasn't three consecutive periods of 24 hours, but he was in the tomb Friday night, all of Saturday, and then Sunday night and, and um, following. Uh, the, a person was truly dead when he had been dead for three days. That's why uh, Martha... Uh, uh, and Mary told Jesus uh, when he came to grieve for the for Lazarus or to heal Lazarus, but he raised him from the dead. When he came, but he has been dead. Is it does the text say four days? It means he's really dead, Lord, really, really. And Jesus was really, really dead. That's why it was important that he was in the tomb three days and three nights. All right, moving along. And people will say he wasn't in the tomb three nights. Well, he was in the in the in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. One night he spent underground in a in a in a in a jail cell. That answers that question neatly, I think. All right, let's let's take a break. We'll go. Uh, we'll come back with the word of the day, and we will open the phones, which are open at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. They are open at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Częstochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Come and listen in to the radio station where the mighty hosts of heaven sing. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you want to hear the songs of Zion coming from the land of endless spring, get in touch with God. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on. Well, I'm not going to make that claim. If you want to get in touch with Greek verbs and Hebrew nouns, turn your radio on. All right, moving along here, let's go to the word of the day. And today is the Feast of St. Polycarp. And I love that name because in Greek it means lots of fruit. That's what it means, fruitful, as in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That I don't is some weird, was... wild stuff. <laughs> that, that it's interesting because his name was Polycarp. 
which sounds like a Christian name. And if his name was a Christian name, he it, it's reasonable that he was born into a Christian family. And he says something very interesting um, when he was about to be martyred. He, he said, uh, what is it? Um, uh, the story of the martyrdom of St. Polycarp, uh, he said, 80 and six years I have served him. In other words, he'd served him for 86 years. He'd served, that's a pretty long life for now, but for someone in the Roman Empire, quite long. The implication of his name and that phrase is that he was baptized as an infant. Ooh. And he was born probably around 69 AD before the destruction of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and he was probably born, well, I suspect he was born in what is today Turkey. Um, he was a, a disciple of John the Baptist, and uh, he actually went to discuss the dating of Easter with Pope Anicetus, um, with the Bishop of Rome. That's how important the Bishop of Rome was in the very first generation of Christians. So um, uh, Anicetus was a, was a Syri was Syrian. Uh, well, Anicetus, well, Polycarp might have been, he was the bishop of Smyrna, but he might have been born in the eastern part of Turkey, but I don't know, who knows. Uh, I wasn't there. But this is very interesting. He has a Christian name, presumably from his childhood. Polycarp was just not something the Greeks called himself, lots of fruit, but it was something that a Christian might have called been called. At least this is my interpretation of it. So, uh, very important. He was, I mean, there was a, a church that was clearly the church to which you and I belong. Uh, with the Episcopal structure, with a special deference to the Bishop of Rome, then a belief in the Holy Trinity. So, uh, I, I think that, that this is significant. So, this is the Feast of St. Polycarp. And he died a martyr's death and um, was a disciple of St. John. Interesting. All right, let's go to phone calls. Hello, phone calls? Oh, ah, there's the phone. Vince, what can I do for you? Hello, uh, Father Simon. Hello. Hello. Hello, I'm here. You're there. Oh, I'm yes. there. You're here. Oh. Yes. Hi, Father. It's a yes. pleasure to speak with you. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, um, I always have this issue every Lent with this, you know, reading today from Ezekiel about, yeah. you know, the wicked man and the, the righteous man. And, and I always say, um, I don't know, I always feel like saying the wicked man is getting off easy, like you could live a wicked life and then do a deathbed confession, and then the, mm -hmm. the righteous man, I'm not saying, you know, you know, if he does something wrong, you know, he shouldn't pay for it, but why can't he also say, oh, okay, Lord, I'm sorry I, I broke from your covenant or whatever, but I'd still like to, you know, repent and, and whatever. I mean, well, I, he, I just he thought, could. Um, Definitely, I believe I believe that the the righteous man who has left the covenant could repent on his deathbed, and a lot of them do. I've known a lot of people who were devoutly Christian, left the faith, and then came back on their deathbed, and uh, 
That happens. You see, it's the relationship that's salvific. And the works done be, you know, we're not saved by, by works of the law. We're saved, but we are saved in a sense by works of faith. That if, if I'm in a relationship to you and you ask me to do something, if I say, I forget you, I'm not in relationship to you like I thought. But if I say, this is for my friend, I'm going right. to do it. That's, that's a work of faith. That's a work of relationship. And it's the relationship that's salvific. And that relationship is, is necessarily expressed in what we do. You know, I can't say you're my friend and then, and then, um, then steal you blind or do something like that. So yeah, the, 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 the wicked man, uh, if he repents, he's in relationship to God. And we see that on the cross. This day you will be with me in paradise. Uh, that's what Jesus said to the good thief. And if the virtuous man becomes the wicked man and at the last moment returns to virtue, hey, he's golden. So I hope that helps a little. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I've always tried to think of it that way. I guess maybe, yeah, yeah, I, I think you know, you're sometimes right. when I, when I read scripture, I don't like to like either misinterpret it or read too much into it or, you know, things oh, like that. Um, I should imitate you. <laughs> but, yeah, I, well, I always say I wasn't there. So, well, Vince, yeah, it's, I think you've got a point. And, and, uh, the thing is about being in a relationship to the Lord. I, I, I've known so many people who left the Lord and, missed him so much they came back and uh be it on their deathbed or be yeah. it before and the lord will always take you back i always remind people that no one wants to get you to heaven nearly as much as god does so i hope that helps a little vince god bless you and thanks for calling in yeah, it'll help. It'll help. all right all right god bless i will let's go to lloyd who's calling in from dubuque iowa beautiful dubuque what can i do for you lloyd well i heard one time that if you get a bad sin on your soul your prayers won't be answered. Is that true or not? I've met people who are in a state of grace whose prayers aren't answered the way they want them to be. God always answers prayer. Always. Oh, he just he just doesn't answer always he answers prayer. He just doesn't answer it. He doesn't he doesn't give us what we think we're praying for. He gives us what we're praying for. Now, I may think I'm praying, you know, I, I want, uh, oh, Lord, I need a million dollars. Amen. Where well, I didn't get the million dollars. No, uh, you ask for a million dollars, you're asking for trouble. <laughs> you know, that uh, um, uh, the gospel says it's very hard for the, the, the wealthy to enter the kingdom. And uh, um, I don't think that means it's hard for them to go to heaven, but it's hard for them to really enter into what God has for them because... Well, they don't need God. You know, God answers our prayers, what we're really praying for. And some of us pray for some really horrible things. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's important to understand. And and the, the prayer of the sinner, God hears the prayer of the sinner because he hears everything. And if that sinner is genuinely praying, remember what St. Alphonsus said, he who prays is saved. If a person is genuinely praying, God will figure a way to get him back. So I hope that helps a little bit, Lloyd, and I'm grateful that you listen. So well, God bless you. Thank you. Let's go okay, to, you. you're welcome. Bye. Let's, let's go. Bye-bye. Let's go to Jill from Joliet. What can I do for you, Jill? Hi, thanks so much. Um, I have difficulty understanding. Well, when we bring the bread and wine, we're offering that. Okay. 
But then why are we like offering it? Are we offering up to God? I mean, it turns into yeah. Christ, but we offer that. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, that's kind of complicated. But the uh, I always have to go back to to Cain and Abel. <laughs> you know, Cain offered a sacrifice of produce. Abraham offered a sacrifice of a lamb. Because. The Bible says that you can only enter into a covenant with God with the shedding of blood. In the ancient world, uh, uh, an animal sacrifice meant if I break this covenant, may God do to me what has happened to this animal. You know, that in a sense, that's what we're saying. And that's why a bloody sacrifice ratifies a covenant. And we enter, when we go to Mass, we enter into a covenant. And it's Christ, the very blood of Christ, that ratifies that covenant. Well, that sounds kind of grisly. Yeah, it is kind of grisly. Um, that that uh, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is God's statement, this is how much I love you. He gave his only begotten son. He didn't, you know, I used to wonder why it was the father didn't come and die in Calvary. Why did he send the son? That sounds like cowardice. That's because the only way he could say, I love you more than myself was to send his very heart, his son. And God saying to us on Calvary that he loves us inestimably. And we're saying, yeah, and we want to enter into that covenant. Look at the broken body of your son. If we break the covenant, may this happen to us. So that's why we offer to God. It's it, you got to understand uh, sacrifice in terms of of covenant. You know that a covenant is I give you myself that you might give me yourself. Most people want to enter make a contract with God. I'll give you this so you give me that. God doesn't do con- contracts. He does covenants. I give you myself that you might give me yourself. He gives us himself in Christ and. In Christ, we give him ourselves. That's what's going on. I hope that helps a little, Jill. God bless, and thanks for calling in. Let's go to Tim, who's, you're welcome. Let's go to Tim, who's calling in from uh, Dassel, Minnesota. What can I do for you, Tim? Hi, Father. I was calling about uh, when I pray the rosary during the season of Lent. Uh, I notice on Sundays uh, when I'm in church, we we, uh, end up praying the the uh, sorrowful mysteries on yeah the uh, on Sundays and and on uh, Wednesdays mm-hmm. and then uh, and then of course the week of uh, Holy Week we pray I, I wanted to find out if that's all correct uh, uh, to pray the uh, sorrowful mysteries the week of Holy Week and then all glorious mysteries each day of of the week following the resurrection. It depends. You know, you got to understand these are customs. They're not even traditions. They're customs. The rosary, in a certain sense, is a fairly recent prayer. We didn't have it in its current form until the 1200s, uh, which is recent for Catholics. But it's it's custom. And you do what is the local custom when you are praying with other people. Now, I where I'm from, we just we don't vary the uh, the, the 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 mysteries of the rosary. Uh, from the regular regular rotation, but you can. There's no canon law. There's no rule in the catechism. It's a custom. So you follow local custom. I hope that helps a little bit, Tim. 
you know, it isn't a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of cooperating with people. All right. Thanks for calling in, Tim. God bless. Let's go to Raphael from, uh, God, you're welcome. Let's go to Raphael from Stockton, California. What can I do for you, Raphael? Hello, Father. Um, I had a question, so I'm getting ready to read the um, the Dogma of Hell book, and I'm wondering, do I need to prepare myself in any way to read this book or any book like it, like, you know, something of that nature? It's a book called The Dogma of Hell? Yes. Oh, Patrick it. Madrid. If Patrick yes. Madrid recommends it, it's kosher. It's good stuff. Um, okay, you know, did. <laughs> um... I, you know, I was reading a book similar, and after five pages, I put it down because of the way it affected me. Now, C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, never bothered me. I saw the movie The Exorcist when I was young, slept like a rock. I had nightmares after seeing ordinary people, but I slept like a rock. It depends how it affects you. Uh, you just have to be attentive. I would, I would prepare spiritually. I would, before I open the book, I'd say the prayer to St. Michael and a Hail Mary, and then see how it affects you. Um, I, I assume that you're keeping in a state of grace, and that's good enough preparation. But gauge how it affects you. If it's ruining your sleep or making you nervous, put it down. But if Patrick Madrid recommends it, it's a good book. Let me trust you. Let me, let me, let me tell you. Speaking of someone you can trust, Drew is coming up, so don't go anywhere. 